What is the relationship between writing, teaching, and hosting a podcast? Today in the show, I sit down with the Teaching Writer Speak podcast host, Ty Walkland. I'm Celeste Kirsch, and we are Teaching Tomorrow. One of the gifts of starting a PhD has been helping to produce another podcast, Teaching Writers Speak. On this podcast, Ty Walkland expertly interviews teachers, scholars, and community educators about the practice and craft of teaching writing. Teaching Writers Speak has put out a first season of episodes, and while I know I'm biased, it's a really excellent show that explores the complexities of what it means to be a teacher of writing. In this episode, Ty Walkland and I chat about being a teacher of writing, how he has recovered from the tyranny of writing assessments as a young person, and what has surprised him about hosting a podcast. He also explains why he initially said an emphatic no to hosting a podcast when first approached. If you've ever thought about hosting your own podcast, hearing his take on this just might convince you to give it a try. I think you'll be able to tell right away when listening to this episode that Ty is a wonderful human that I thoroughly enjoy getting to talk to. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Ty Walkland. Ty Walkland, I feel like I've been looking forward to doing this interview from the moment I met you in my critical literacy class with Dr. Rob Simon. So Mm. a very sparkly welcome to the Teaching Tomorrow podcast. Thank you so much, Celeste. I this is I think our this is our third kick at the can, isn't it? So a third time is the charm, as they say. We've been trying to make this work for a little while, and I'm so glad we were finally able to to make our paths cross here. I mean, only three attempts at scheduling is quite a miracle that it's only been three times because okay. we both lead such busy lives, and there's so mm. many unpredictable things. So I think that's a success that we were able to actually have it happen, and not okay, that far. I'm going to take that and run with that. I'm still new to the podcast game, so I appreciate all these lessons. So I have put you in the category of one of my new favorite people that I've met this year from doing the PhD. I have been so fortunate to get to work with you on the Teaching Writers Speak podcast. And I came into this podcast later in the game. Like Dr. Rob Simon pulled me in and said, oh, Celeste, you know, podcasting things, you should come work with us over here. And I was so happy that that connection got made. That's uh, too. <laughs> it's been so fun to work on a show where I'm not hosting it and you're the host of the show. So we're going to talk in this conversation about hosting a podcast, about you doing a PhD, about mm-hmm. writing, about teaching. Mm-hmm. I want to start cool. with you though. So will you start by telling us your story? How did you find yourself as an educator? How did you end up as a PhD candidate and now the host of a podcast? Like take us through from the very beginning of like little Ty running around, like all the way to like diapers to (laughs) where you found yourself in this seat. Do I have to tell you about the time when I was a kid singing Patsy Cline into my Fisher Price microphone? Does that count as well? That is Um, especially relevant. I feel like that's why, because I feel like that's sort of a precursor to my podcasting days, right? So you can imagine me with a tea towel on my head as a toddler, instead of I fall to pieces, I say I I fall to pizza. Um, (laughs) That was, I think, my first podcast, probably. I actually, I think I want to start at the podcast and work backwards, if that's okay. I love that. Because I have a bad memory. That might come up a couple of times in this in this conversation. Like you, I came to the podcast late. So mm. I was not part of the initial sort of germinating seeds that dreamt up this podcast. And that's, uh, maybe we'll speak more about this later, but that's, uh, I leave that up to 
Danielle Baskinan, Delta Douglas, Will Edwards, and as you mentioned, Rob Simon, who I think your listeners may have heard from before. Um, you know, the podcast was really their dream and they invited me on board. Um, I think it was Rob who sort of proposed the idea that I might host this podcast. And my initial response, like so many things in my life, is, oh my God, no, um, I can't do that. You know, absolutely not. That's the worst idea I've ever heard. Um, but it's been such a it's been such a wonderful gift to be a part of that process. And I think it, it that sort of happenstance, like to me, it sort of happened by accident. And so many mm. of my professional turns in my journey have been sort of a happenstance thing, you know. So I before I wanted to be Patsy Klein or after I wanted to be Patsy Klein, I really wanted to be an architect. And so I started taking math and science classes, um, it turns out that you cannot play euchre during physics and then also get a good mark in physics and then be uh, somebody that people could trust to build a building. So I kind of became a teacher by accident. Um, I always admired my teacher so much. Um, I never really liked being in school. I didn't like being a young person particularly. I was a queer person that was that had its own kind of specific hurdles. Um, maybe the Patsy Klein thing was a giveaway on that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my teacher, I admired my, te my teacher so much. And um, they were they gave me a model of what a professional life could look like. And so I found myself sort of gravitating to the classroom. I also, as a young person, uh, just like I like to sing into microphones, I loved to play teacher and, and the kind of teaching that we think of teacher of like, I'm going to line all my stuffed animals up <laughs> along the wall, and I'm going to tell them all what to do. And I'm going to write on the chalkboard and they're going to do what I say. This Did recently I... came up in another conversation. And now I want mm -hmm. to include this as like a forever question. Like how many educators that are really passionate about what they're doing played mm -hmm. school as a kid? So you're yeah. adding to my very informal okay. survey. Yeah. You know, and so, I mean, I said that part of the journey for me was happenstance and that's true. I mean, grad school was a bit like that too, but part of it is like a gravitational pull, you know? Mm. So I felt, I felt a gravitational pull to being in a classroom um, certainly my ideas about what teaching is and what a teacher is were challenged immediately once I was actually in a classroom with young people um, wanting to do the best that I could and to support them, um, hopefully, and make some tiny corner of a better world. Um, I also was gravitated to the page. I also gravitated to the page. So I, mm. I wrote from a very young age. Um, I was remembering as I was preparing for this podcast too, I actually, I won an essay contest when I was, I think about 10 years old and wow. I didn't even know really what an essay was. I actually thought that the, the word essay was an acronym S A not, uh, <laughs> not essay, like a verb, the French verb to try on. Right. Because I had never heard of that before. What did you um, think S and A stood for? In I have your no writing? idea. <laughs> I have no idea. And I have no idea what I wrote. All I know is that it won me and my friends a trip to space camp in Quebec. I don't know. I'm not even a space person. You know, like I, I could name the planets, but I couldn't tell you how fast they're running around the sun, whereas my friends were kind of geeking out on that stuff. But my teacher handed me this flyer to say, hey, here's this, here's this contest. Um, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I'm a Capricorn, you know, so give me a contest. Tell me there's a gold star. I'm running after it. Um, and I did that. And it's because I love to write stories. You know, as a mm. child, I wrote stories constantly. Um, and over the years, I just continued to gravitate to the page. Um, you know, I was often praised for being a good writer, um, but I never thought of that as being an actual job, mainly again, because I'd never seen anybody do that. You know, yeah. I came from a, a, a family of hardworking people. I mean, my my dad is a musician, an artist. My my mother is an avid reader. So, you know, I had lots of literature around me. I had lots of arts 
and people in the arts around me, but I never thought of writing as anything somebody could do. Whereas teaching was something I could see and it was something I could do. So I, and I could see how I could get there, you know, and mm -hmm. I was able to map my journey there. And I did that because yeah. I'm also, now I'm, now I'm rambling. I mean, if anybody tunes into our podcast, uh, Teaching Writers <laughs> Speak, you'll, you'll get, have to get used to this quite quickly. Um, I'm also what they call hashtag first gen, which is to say, I am the one of the first people in my family. I am the first pe person in my immediate family to go to post-secondary school. Um, so I didn't really have a vision of what this was. And that's kind of how I landed in grad school too, which is I was working in the class, you know, I'd been working more or less full-time in the classroom for about five years. Um, I still tried to write here and there, but I really missed the structure of having to write things, even mm -hmm. though I you know, by the end of university, the way sort of school assessment garbles up the writing craft really had alienated me from my own identity as a writer. But I, again, it was a gravitational pull. I kept finding my way there. So I needed a space for that again. I wrote a grad school application, um, which was a short essay, at, not an essay, but an essay. And my supervisor, Rob Simon, picked it up. I didn't know Rob. I didn't know that, for example, people went to graduate school because they wanted to work under the tutelage of particular people. Um, I just knew that I needed writing in my life. And my only context for that was in school. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, I better go back to school. And I'm a teacher. So I guess I should go and get a degree in education because I can't get an MFA. I don't have a portfolio or anything like that. But I've been teaching and I have some thoughts about teaching and, and young people in schooling. And so this is a very long winded answer to your question. Um, I mean, it was and, a big question. I asked you to go back to little tie in diapers. So it is, I, I kind of went this. there. Yeah. yeah. So I, like I said, it's been happenstance. It's also been gravitation. It's been a gravitational pull because I really think mm -hmm. teaching kind of like writing, kind of like being a queer person. Like it, for me, it's, it's my identity. It's really part of my identity. It's how I operate in the world. And um, from an early age, it sounds like. And from an early age. Yeah. You know, it's pull. writing, writing things down is how I come to know myself. It's how I come to know things around me. And I found that even as a teacher, I was a, an avid writer. I didn't really think about that until after I had been in grad school for a little while. And I was looking back at some of my, uh, my old like lesson plans and things like that. But I, you know, I meticulously wrote out lesson plans and I gave way too much feedback on things. And I, you know, I wrote a lot as a teacher, but I had for so long conflated writing and publishing or writing and finished product um, yeah, there's a yeah. lot of writing inherent in teaching, especially in teaching English, social studies, like mm -hmm. more of those word based mm -hmm. classes. And I yeah, and think that we often many people who there's so much of what you said that just really resonates with my own experience. But that idea of not knowing what else to do that might involve writing and words and language yeah. like like you, I only had so much exposure to different professions. And so. Mm -hmm teaching was the way to have a creative life, but also a life yes. where you could be surrounded by language and words and have a stable career. Like those are, it's rare to have those things it is together. Rare. It yeah. is. Yeah. Like stability. Cause I think I associated writing with like this kind of Moulin Rouge artist's life where like you're suffering <laughs> and like dying for your art. Yes. Um, but there's other ways to have a writing life. There Just like is. Dr. Simon says, there's many ways to have a scholarly life. Mm -hmm. That's I want true. to go back to something you said that intrigued me that I wanted to like dive back into. And I didn't want to interrupt you because everything you were saying was so golden. You said no initially to the podcast. Somebody, did. Dr. Simon came up to you and said like, hey, I think you should do this. And your initial thought was hell no. Mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. uh, because I, I'm a background person. So, you know, I think one of your, one of the last questions you might ask me is around social media. And I'm probably going to tell you that I'm a social media wallflower. And I'm, I'm like that in a lot of contexts in my life. You know, I am a, 
maybe this has something to do with being a writer. I'm a fairly introverted person. I, I love talking to people. I love picking people's brains, but I never thought of doing that in a public forum, even though, hello, I was a classroom teacher for mm-hmm. almost 10 years, you know? Um, so I, I have this very funny relationship between, you know, this, this impulse in me that wants to hide. I think part of that is again, being a young queer person and some of the experiences that come along with that. And the part of me that wants to be the center of attention with the Fisher Price microphone, you know? So those two parts of me are always combating. And it's been, I've been really grateful that I've been surrounded by people like Rob Simon, certainly some of my particular English teachers growing up who really nudged me to, to use my voice and to, and to take a, a place, you know, at the table and to, and to speak. And so I, you know, the, the invitation to the podcast, my first thought was like, oh, I can't do that. You know, Mm -hmm. I, that I would just demand something that I wouldn't be able to offer. It turns out that I think I'm okay at it. You know, again, <laughs> I love that you part know of, that. Yes. Because part of it is, again, I love talking to people, you know? So even though there's a part of me that wants to sort of stand on the wall, I mean, that's true. If I'm in a large gathering of people, I'm going to try to find the exit pretty quickly. But when it comes to having a sit down conversation with a handful of people, you know, I just, I could do that all day long. Um, I want to pick people's brains. I want to talk. I want to... Um, yeah, I just want to kind of explore things with people. And the podcast is sort of that opportunity, I think. I think hosting a podcast is inherently different than doing like a open mic night or doing stand-up mm. comedy mm. in a club or performing music in front of people or actually mm. doing your Patsy Klein mm-hmm. routine in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because what I think many people don't really understand about doing a podcast is that it is actually pretty solitary. Yes. You are in your little office at Oise right now. And when you're hosting a podcast, you're talking to one person. Mm -hmm. And while there is people listening to us talking right now, we have no sense of who is listening, what their reactions are, when they're rolling their eyes at us. Like we're kind of shielded from a lot of that. And we're in our, yeah. And I think like, you know, you, we get little snippets of insight from people who Mm -hmm. are listening. Like we get the odd person actually reaching out or somebody texting us saying like, I love this moment. But I think podcast hosting is a really comfortable way to put yourself out there without all of the scariness Mm. of Mm self-exposure. I think that's true. Although I have to say one thing, yes, it is absolutely solitary, but you know, without our wonderful producer editor, Celeste Kirsch and uh, our other producer, Velta Douglas, we wouldn't really have a podcast, you know? So it's both a team effort. It's both a solitaire, but it, you're right. There is a certain kind of comfort coziness to mm-hmm. the fact that I am sitting in my office. Although I have to say to you, as I think about it now, <laughs> I mean, I realize that this, um, that I'm in the opposite chair today. So this is actually uh, about me in some way, but I have also been a fairly decent public speaker in my life. And I've been often tapped on the shoulder to do public speaking kind of work. As I said, I'm actually you know, I'm most comfortable speaking one-on-one or in a small group of people. I'm also incredibly comfortable speaking in front of a large group of people, but because of the distance there, I think, you know, so there is a, there's that weird thing. And I think podcast hosting is sort of similar that way that when you're addressing a large audience and this is, you got a large audience, my friend, um, you know, there is a certain kind of solitariness to that too, even though you're surrounded by people, you know, you're in this sort of alcove um, and there's a lot of comfort there. I do you identify as an introvert? Is that how you would? I think so. Classify? I mean, I get, I get, yeah, you know, I, I think so. Although every time I don't, I, this is how I feel about most ways that folks identify, um, you know, 
as soon as those words come out of our mouth, we can think of like rules against them. Like we mm-hmm. can find ways that they don't always hold up, you know? So I'm, but I think, yeah, if there's some kind of spectrum of introversion, extroversion, I'm certainly on the introvert side of the spectrum, but I don't think, I mean, most people experience me, I think more as an extrovert, but that's just not really, you know, I'm quite content sitting at home, listening to a podcast mm-hmm. you know? um, or, making a podcast. or making yeah. a podcast. Well, that's, that's a new thing, you know, but this is again, because people have sort of nudged me out of my more introverted tendencies um, and have recognized things that probably I haven't been able to recognize in myself. And again, that's such a, I mean, that's why teachers can be so incredible, you know, and how mm-hmm. they can transform our lives. They see things that we can't yet see or that we can't yet own. And those nudges mean a lot. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you have been nudged because not only do you have a wonderful speaking voice that I could listen to for days, but you also are a very natural host. Like I, what's interesting about you hosting your podcast is that you don't listen back to your shows. Like you, I wouldn't be able to host a podcast ever again. <laughs> just like I will never listen to this episode we're recording right now. <laughs> Which is a shame because you're so excellent and have wonderful things to say. And you say them in a really clear, succinct way. I think like when I'm doing my own podcast, I'm editing my own stuff. And I've often, and this is actually a really interesting insight that I've had. When I go back, I'll often give a couple of days. So I'm like, fuck, I was so awkward in that conversation. Why did I say that thing? Or- <laughs> this is why I will not listen back to these. <laughs> but here's the interesting thing. I feel that way in some conversations with people because I'm more introverted. I remember when I was, I would, this is a bit of a tangent, but I come back to the point. When I was in undergrad, I would drive back to Toronto. I was at UW, University of Waterloo. And I would drive back with one of my profs and I'd be so nervous about driving with one mm. of my profs because he mm. was like so important. And I looked up to him mm. so much that I would like script out questions for him for the I car. And I'd be that. like, I, I, <laughs> I want to make sure that there's no awkward moments in this car. Mm. So I would like think of, I think this is like one of my initial podcast hosting moments. Mm. And then I would feel like, okay, like I've, I've done this conversation, this hour long car ride justice, but I would always think like, I was so painfully awkward in those moments. But now that I actually have the privilege of going back and editing them, I realized I wasn't as awkward as I thought. Like after Mm. I've had a few days and when I'm truly awkward, the gift of a podcast is that you get to clean those things up. Like I just cut it out. I have like, there's been (laughs) points where I'm like, I can't say that. And I just, take it right out. Mm. So I think, I mean, this is all to say that I think that there's something about the gifts of hosting a podcast where you get to edit yourself, Mm. put something out there that is the best possible representation of who you want to be in the conversation you wanted to have, but that by going back and re-listening to it, and maybe this is my like push for you to go back and listen to it, (laughs) that we're not as awkward as we think we are. We're not as awkward as we think we are. Well, and hearing you say this too, it reminds me that there is this real continuum between being a podcast host, being a writer and being a teacher, you know, yes. so that that scenario you just described of scripting out those questions. I mean, that's just like, you know, before our conversation today, you very kindly offered a few anchors that might, you know, guide our conversation. Of course, we're going to steer around those. My way to prepare for that was to write, mm-hmm. you know, um, just like you, you know, you scripted out your, your questions for your professor just like now, as we produce our podcast as well, we are always, you know, doing a lot of preparatory work. There's a lot of scripting involved. There's a, there's sort of a, I don't know, it's something between, again, it's like these warring spirits in me. There's, there's the sort of real control freak in me who wants to manage the situation. And as you say, sort of present the best version, I think writing allows that sort of gift, but then there's also the, the, 
the surprises that come, right? Yeah. And there's there's something about being a writer and a teacher and a podcast host where you're really flinging yourself out into the universe mm. and allowing something to take you somewhere you didn't expect. And yeah. I think I think the more we do this work too, I think I think you know when you speak to classroom teachers who've been at it for a long time. Um, certainly when you speak to writers who've been doing professional writers or published writers, you don't have to be published to be a writer. Um, you know, they get more and more comfortable with that, that level of vulnerability, that level mm -hmm. of just letting it happen and seeing where it takes you, you know, and trusting that it's going to take you. I mean, that's kind of like what you're saying too, about being able to own your, either your awkwardness or recognize your non-awkwardness is like, there's a level of trust there. Yeah. You trust that when you sit down at the microphone, something useful is going to come out. You trust that when you arrive in the classroom, you're going to hold space for those, those kids or the, whomever's in the classroom to help them learn and to help them feel good. You know, I think it's more that I trust that it's okay if it's not good. I think that mm, it, and I think mm. that that is really shifted for me with my writing yeah. where I used to really worry about it being good enough and yeah. that that would sort of stop me from doing anything. Mm -hmm. And by making a podcast and by writing so much more in a PhD than I was as a teacher, yeah. I realized that it's okay to be sucky. And that actually by sucking a lot for a mm -hmm. while is the only way that you create anything good. So absolutely. Like, well, I this, haven't I gone can't... back to listen to the early episodes of my own podcast. Mm -hmm. And like, I, mm -hmm. I'm just not interested in that, but I have listened to all of them. And I think to go back and listen to some of the early ones from like 2018, when it first came out, I think that I would be so much more clear at how much I didn't know how much I was sucking then. It's like, if you ever read your papers from when you were in Oof. high school, Oof. you're like, I thought that was really good, but that turns out. Yeah. And funny, even when you read like your master's thesis that you wrote yeah. only a handful of years ago, you're like, oh my goodness. But I mean, that's, again, that's such a gift, right? I mean, I, th I, I think I mentioned this earlier in my rambling uh, time traveling biography of like, there's a real uh, way in which for me anyway, I think when I think about how I started to really be afraid of writing, be afraid of taking the risk of say being a podcast host or doing some kind of public speaking, I really hold some of school assessment accountable for that. Oh my God, um, totally. You know, the tyranny of, particular ways of assessing and engaging student writing, the tyranny of standardized genres in English classrooms, particularly, um, those things really alienated me from my craft mm. for a long time, you know, and it's taken, I love what you said too, about, you know, I, the PhD, you do so much writing, it just sort of returns you to something. Um, and it, it allows you to, to suck in a way that school doesn't really allow for, you know, particularly if you think about, and I was, I taught in these places, I taught like this sometimes, where it's mm -hmm. like, in a semester of an English class, you really only write a handful of times. And so each of the, the stakes for each of those are so high. And then of course we have, you know, in Ontario, at least anyway, you know, the trajectory to post-secondary is based on numerical grades. Yeah. And so those things matter tremendously. Um, the stakes are always high and the, you know, fucking up is not really an option. I'm sad for that, you know, and I, I think I've, I've been trying you know, we still work, I'm going to borrow one of Rob's Simon's phrases of working within and against our, our the institutions that we inhabit, you know, I've been trying as both a teacher and now as a sort of a writing scholar to, to find some happy medium between those things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, I think assessment is helpful. I think, you know, just we've been talking, for example, about soliciting feedback about our podcast as a way to get better. Of course, we need to make mistakes. Of course, we need to find out ways that we can, um, 
I, even the words better and improve, I just, again, those words are so tainted for me now, but um, ways that we can grow or be different. It's about serving audiences. And I think that this is mm. the difference between the kind of writing and the kind of creation that people create outside of high school and outside yes. of schools is that it's often in service of an audience. And like oftentimes mm. the kinds mm. of writing, like I use that term loosely because we know writing yeah. can take many forms Absolutely. the kinds of writing that young people are doing outside of school is really about an audience like it's mm. i'm going to make this youtube video and it's going to be for my yes. people yes. and our writing inside of high school is often for a teacher to prove our mm -hmm. worth to get mm -hmm. the grades mm -hmm. so that we can go to university so that we can move out of this small town and finally make something of ourselves like right. it's the stakes are so high like you said whereas yes. when you're writing like the stakes aren't high for us with our podcasts like mm. That's I right. don't know about you, but I don't get the sense like with my podcast, like the stakes are high. Like I get to play. Yeah. It's like a yes. place to explore and to be of service to other people and to create something that might land mm. for other people. And I don't know how we get around that. Like I, I've been outside of the classroom for a year now, and I honestly don't know how I would address that differently because well, the I system is what it is. Yes. But I think there is something about, I, you know, one way I think that I've been trying to address that I have also now been, been out of the classroom, at least on a regular basis for several years. I feel further away from the classroom than I really ever have, I think. But I think there's something about frequency. I mean, the thing that you mentioned about sort of producing YouTube videos, the ways that young people and other folks right in the world, mm -hmm. there is a recursiveness. There's a, yes. there's a repeatedness. Right. So that each of those each of those outputs are not their own solitary thing. They're they're a part of a continuum. Um, and there is an opportunity to, you know, if last week's video is shit, then this week's video is going to be different. You know, yeah, there's something about and I mean, that volume can also be its own kind of stake, its own kind of pressure. But I think, you know, this sort of pressure to produce content. But I think there's also a freedom in that because the opportunities just present themselves over and over and over again. I don't know that that's always what happens in a classroom space, or it certainly wasn't my experience as a, as a, as a young person. No, not um, and it wasn't always the experience that I offered to my students either of writing every single day, for example, you know, I, and for low stakes, like for really, very low stakes, like think... not even writing that I will, that your teacher will look at, you know, yeah. just like sitting for 10 minutes and writing Yeah, and whatever, maybe that's doodling today. Maybe that's, you know, writing the F word 700 times. Um, Do you think that, that, that comes today? from the fact that many teachers who are teaching writing don't yet identify as a writer themselves? Do you think that that is part of, you know, like if, if more teachers who were shepherding students through the writing process identified as writers, that that would shift, like they would see more clearly the relationship between producing a lot of low stakes drafts that don't really mean anything and growth as a writer or identifying as a writer. I think so. I mean, I think part of that too is maybe for me, I'll speak from my own experience. For me, it's because I was also socialized in a system that didn't allow for that kind of, um, that kind of flexibility, that kind of um, low stakes um, process work. Um, even though I have to say when, even when I was a teacher candidate at the academy, the, I mean, this is one of the, for me, the, one of the, the major disconnects between some academic spaces and some K to 12 spaces is that there is actually a lot of, there's a lot of talk about process-based approaches to writing. Um, and they don't always find their way into the classroom. Um, so I think in answer to your question, I think part of, I think would it help to, for folks to identify as writers? I think 
Yes, but I think also it's trying to really unpack what writing is, you know, mm-hmm. to borrow a cliche, writers write, you know, so writing is not a product. I, and I, I owe so much of this to um, my dear friends, Ashley Allen and Ben Gallagher, who are actually guests on our podcast. I've episode been, one. What, what? Episode, yeah, they're one? really early days. Oh, no, yeah. maybe two. Maybe, maybe two. two. I, but it was, I mean, um, who better to kind of kick off right and so Ashley and Ben are both poets I've been fortunate to be hanging out in their poetry workshop writing spaces I am not a poet I don't identify as a poet Um, but participating in those workshops has really helped me disentangle the idea that writing is product driven that it's about creating a finished polished thing that writing is really just a practice and I think so and that's actually what's enabled me. I think, uh, I think I said maybe toward the top of the podcast that I, I'm comfortable now identifying as a writer. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because one, because I now actually write for a living, shameless self-promotion. We had, uh, Ben, Rob and I had a piece come out in the research of the teaching of English, uh, just yesterday, actually. Oh, congratulations. So, you know, I, I write from my supper now. So that makes me feel like I'm a writer, but I've also mm-hmm. at, like you, since being in graduate school, you know, I write every single day yeah. in some way, shape or form, you know? And so that's what allows me to identify as a writer is because my hand is on the page or it's on the keyboard or I am writing. That's what makes a writer, not I have a book on the shelf. I really thought that that's what made somebody a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that school socializes us or certainly socialize me to think that a writer is somebody who produces a specific thing. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, as you say, for an audience and it's for a critical audience. Um, you know, and they're, they're there with their arrows ready, you know, or the red pens at the ready to show you all the ways that you've messed this up. And I think I, for me, as I said, for me, I brought that with me into the classroom, whether I wanted to or not. And even as I fought against it, you know, I would, I would remained sort of haunted by some of that, mm-hmm. some of that tyranny is what I would call it. When you were a young person, you identified as a writer. It sounds like there was a period where you were only writing for the assignments that were presented to you in school. Absolutely. And now you identify Absolutely. as a writer so that there's sort of like a period there where called the dark years where you were not, <laughs> maybe you're writing, but it wasn't the kinds of writing that you would have identified with as mm. your own. Mm-hmm. Did you keep a journal as a young person? Did you have like a diary? On and off. I always aspired to, I mean, this is, you know, I always, I always wanted to be the sort of person who did that. And I would, periodically I am now the sort of person I do like I do a morning page exercise mm. pr- virtually every day um so I'm kind of a journaler now I but as I said like for me I think again the reason that I feel comfortable identifying as a writer is because I can't really make sense of things unless I'm working them out on the page yeah and so like this is why it's such a for me it's such a partial or not a partial sorry a crucial part of my identity it's the way that I operate in the world mm-hmm. um in the same way that being a teacher is part of the way I operate in the world being a queer person is part of the way I operate in the world. Um, I, so no, I didn't, I, I didn't really keep a journal, but I did other things. You know, I, I, I was an early or not an early adopter, not at all, actually, you know, back in the web 1.0 days, you know, I was chatting on IRC and I was yeah. part of fan communities and forums, you know, so I was yeah. writing a lot. Just, I think we mentioned this earlier. There's a lot of writing that happens outside of school that is, low stakes or differently staked um, and for different audiences. And, you know, when we pay attention to those things or when we, uh, when we validate those as their own kind of writing practice, 
it starts to make the idea that I could identify as a writer possible. You yeah. know, it's like, oh my goodness. Well, look, I used to, I used to write code to build websites. I used to write, um, you know, blog posts and yeah. um, I would be messaging friends until ungodly hours of the morning. And, you know, so there was, a, there was actually a lot of writing, but it wasn't again, because this is what, what when I say that, you know, part of it is about opening the idea of what a writer is up to people. Um, you know, again, I thought a writer is somebody who kept a journal and you, you know, you wrote the date and you wrote your diary. And that meant that I was somebody who kept a journal. It had to look this way. If I let go of some of those ideas, um, I start to notice that actually, oh, wow, I, I actually write quite a lot. And most of us do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been foundational to how you have been forming your identity and understanding the world and processing life. Like, I think that that's, a pen and a Fisher Price microphone. I'm set. <laughs> That's all you need. Like a full circle. Right. Um, so Teaching Writers Speak is the podcast. I want to know it one is. final thing before we transition to the ticket out the door. Sure. You, as a host of a podcast, probably have seen a whole different side of what this genre is all about and what this yeah. role is all about. Yeah. I'm guessing that most people listening are not hosting their own podcast. Maybe they have thought about it. Maybe they want mm -hmm. to, maybe it's something that they're like, I just need that person to tell me that I'd be really good at it. What has surprised you the most about stepping into this role that you couldn't have seen beforehand? Well, I think the first thing is that I like it, you know, because again, I, I said, no, you know, my, my first impulse was to bat it away, to bat the opportunity away. And I'm so grateful that, um, people around me who care about me insisted on this because I enjoy it so much. I guess the thing, the other thing that it doesn't necessarily surprise me. I think if I, if I stop to pause for a minute, um, I would, it would be obvious to anyone that of course, there's quite a lot of legwork that's involved in producing a half hour conversation. And so I, I think it's given me a new appreciation for, again, the kind of care and attention, um, the kind of engagement uh, an attunement that is required to really sit with somebody, to sit with their ideas, to hold space for them, and to, you know, to, and to, again, to sort of create a space, I guess, for folks to take some kinds of risks and in what they share and how they get there. And so I guess what I'm surprised about is, and this, I, I'm kind of distilling this down too much, but it's like, wow, to make a 25 minute conversation alive, there's actually a lot of time and commitment that goes into that. And it's just, again, it's maybe, and like I said, I think if, that maybe is probably an obvious thing that shouldn't be surprising, but it's given, certainly given me a new appreciation for what folks like you do, um, for the other podcasts that I tune into that I would sometimes just have on in the background, mm -hmm. you know, as sort of my soundtrack to washing the dishes or making a dinner or whatever. It's given that a new sort of gravitas to recognize like, wow, people are really pouring themselves into this kind of work. You know, it's, and for us, I think, especially now that podcasting has become, you know, we're in a moment now where everybody wants to podcast and we have, you know, there's, there are large corporations that are trying to sell us podcast materials so that we can produce our own work and it, which I think is all wonderful. Um, but some of that also allows us to maybe take for granted what is involved, or, or I guess another, a different way of thinking about it is like, it's giving us all an opportunity to experience, um, what is involved, um, you know, and so again, my, my hats go off to you and to others um, who are doing this work because it, um, it demands a lot. 
but it's I think to do it, it well. I mean, it's like writing. Like when you do it well, there is a lot behind the scenes that you don't notice. Like I've I've realized when I listen to a really good, well-produced podcast that mm. doesn't seem like you know very fancy, but you really right. get like that question, that question. Wow, like the way yeah. that the guests responded when they got that mm. question, that mm. took a lot of research to dig that up or to really yeah. thoughtfully craft that. Yeah. Um, because I don't, I, I obviously we know this, there's a lot of podcasts out there and not all of them have the same level of care and attention. But mm-hmm. we were just talking about this with Velta the other day that we were estimating that it probably takes about like five hours to produce one hour of content. At minimum. Yeah. At minimum. At minimum. Yeah. And all, and also at least three people, you know, yeah. so Velta's not here in this conversation today, but I think that's the other thing that surprised me the most. You know, I think once I got around, once I wrapped my head around the idea that I would, and, and got started to get excited about the idea of hosting this podcast, I was like, oh, great. We just sit down and we start talking. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, what do you mean? I have to like write questions or I have, you know, I thought, oh, we can wing it. And of course, which is so bizarre because that's not even how I operated as a teacher. <laughs> as I said, I would like meticulously write out lesson plans, you know, this, then this, then this, then this. Um, and I, you know, again, I owe a debt to, to Belto, especially for, um, you know, reminding us that no, there is actually, there's a real benefit to taking that time and taking that care and attention and to engaging really deeply with what folks are bringing to the table. Because again, it's a, you know, when you're holding space for somebody to share, you want to honor that, you know, that's kind of what I feel my job as the host is to do is to, is Mm -hmm. to hold that space and to, and to honor what is offered there. What is it like for you at the close of this interview to be in the other side of the chair? How has that been like for I you? I am sweating profusely. Um, <laughs> I, this has been a lot of fun. I mean, I, I, this is the other gift of, of the podcast so far is I've mostly been talking to people that I know and I love dearly and that I, you know, I really care about. And so I'm glad I'm in your hot seat, Celeste, because you've made me feel very, very cozy. And I, you know, I would happily have an hour, two hour, four hour, 12 hour conversation with you on any day of the week. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Okay. Let's move to the ticket out the door. Are okay. you ready? I don't know. I, You're sweating profusely. I'm anyway, sweating so. profusely. So I can't, I can't sweat any more than I already am. Thank God. This is not a video. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Something you are grateful for right now. Uh, I'm grateful for you. Celeste Kirsch. Hmm. First thing you do when you wake up in the morning, I stretch. Last thing you do before you go to bed, put my phone very far away from my bed. Hmm. Something you have done recently that you're proud of. I published an article in Research of the Teaching of English. That's amazing. I'm going to link to it in the show notes so people can Super, read it. thank you. Very exciting. Most recent TV show you binged and loved. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Heartstopper. Um, I have to re-binge it actually. I, yeah. Oh my, I, I, if I start talking, I'll be talking for another hour. So Heartstopper <laughs> is my answer. I can't wait to watch that one. My wife started it without me and I'm still upset about it. So uh, I, I was going to say, back and start it. are you filing for divorce? Or <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll forget it this time, but I can't okay. wait to watch it. Pie or cake? Oh my Celeste, this is the worst question you've Hard ever Hard hitting me. questions. Oh my, oh my God. <laughs> Today I'm going to say pie because I would love a slab of pumpkin pie right now, but mm. I'm never going to say no to a piece of chocolate cake. That is very off season. Pumpkin pie. I know, June. right? I love it. I know. Anyway. <laughs> beach or mountains? Oh, beach. Spring or fall? Fall. Looking back, what is something you would tell a younger version of yourself? Hmm. You're okay. Hmm. You get to have any three people on the Teaching Writer Speak podcast. Oh my goodness. Dream people. 
The only stipulation is that they have to be alive. Okay. Who would you get on the podcast? Oh my goodness. I knew I knew I was going to get a question that would require me to <laughs> narrow down things. I'm I'm not that's not a strength of mine. Um, because I want to invite everybody, but I I'm gonna I'm gonna name people who would never ever be on our podcast that's because they're the they're not they're not necessarily well, some of them are writers, some of them are teachers. So I got really into one podcast that I just fell in love with over the pandemic is a podcast called Table Manners. And it is a podcast produced by Jesse Ware. She's a singer out of the UK and she does this with her mother. And she and her mom host a meal for a guest once a week. And it has brought me so much joy to listen to that podcast. So I would love to have Jesse and Lenny Ware on our podcast. I think the other, oh my goodness, I actually have to go see, this is why I have to write things down. I'm going to my notes right now. I mean, yep. oh my goodness, I, where do I even, how do I do this? I'm thinking like, I want all the hosts of Food for Thought on our podcast. I want, mm. um, I want to talk to Ira Glass. I want to talk to Anna Sale. I want to, I guess, okay, since I'm in the cooking lane, so table manners, you know, this is a, it's a podcast about food. I'm a bit, I, I don't like the word foodie, but maybe I'm a foodie. I don't know. I would say Jesse Ware, Lenny Ware, and my, my idol, Nigella Lawson. I would love to sit down with Nigella Lawson and talk about food for a long time. So our podcast is not about food. It's about <laughs> teaching and writing. But if we had a food episode, my three, since you asked for three, those are my three. I love it. This is the last question that I ask everybody on the podcast. So enter it from whatever angle you see appropriate. What is the future of learning? The future of learning is guaranteed. That's that's maybe a strange answer to the question, but th th I, there's a lot of talk right now in the ether of things are crumbling. The world is ending. Are the kids okay? Are the kids going to be okay? Um, I think most of us are learning all the time. And so I think the the future of learning is always there. And I think part of embracing that future is a, requires a bit of, of letting go um, of, again, some of what we think learning actually is, some of what we think counts as learning and doesn't count as learning, um, where we think learning ought to happen or not ought to happen. I think the more we let go of some of those uh, assumptions and those tyrannies, um, the more that future continues to be guaranteed because we're human, humans learn. That is one of the most surprising answers that I've had so far and one that I really like. I'm really excited to like go transcribe that and put it up on like a sticky note right here on my wall. That's lovely for you to say. I will never hear it again. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's really kind. This has been such a delight. I feel oh, like rather than an interview, this has just been like a really great excuse to talk to you without any yes. distractions or interruptions. And yes. I've We'll have to have you back on the show on a very regular basis because this has been such a delight. And we need Celeste Kirsch on Teaching Writers Speak because that podcast doesn't exist and you're a teacher and a writer and you speak. Come on, It's funny show. though, like I really, I identify with what you're saying that like it's so much easier to be in the interviewer seat and like I've been on a couple of podcasts <laughs> on the other side and- Tables have turned. Yeah, there's something really comforting about being protected as the interviewer. Like I, I have to reflect on that too. So you'll get mm. me on your show eventually, but I think we that there's so will. many more important writers and teachers that we can feature. Well, well you're in that pile, Celeste, and you're stuck with us. So Yeah. I'm okay, glad I'm wait. stuck with you. This has been one of the like most favorite parts about the PhD, getting to meet you and mm. Rob and Belta and be part of this podcast. Like honestly, like one of my highlights of this past year. Right back at you, friend. A big thank you to Ty Walkland for coming on the show. 
To get more of Ty in your ears, simply look up Teaching Writers Speak wherever you get podcasts and follow the account on Instagram at Toronto underscore writing underscore project to get updates and alerts of upcoming episodes. To find links for the many things mentioned in this episode, just click on the show notes for easy reference, including Ty's recently published article. Big congratulations for that. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Keep flinging yourself out into the universe. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow.